Oh, great God, it is so true that for those of us who have Jesus and have, have been had by Jesus, Father, that there's nothing, nothing that we'd rather have. Father, help us to remember what we have in Christ. Father, help us to remember that what we have in Christ is available to anyone who would believe and put their faith and trust in Him. Father, help us to guide us and to have us to live on purpose for Christ's sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Good morning, guests. It's wonderful to have you all here today. Yesterday, I went and watched my grandson Elijah play in a summer basketball tournament. It's not something that I do a lot, but uh, not that unusual. So after the game, the second game of three, I was uh, walking back to the other gym for the, the next game, and I happened to be walking next to a young man named Mai Mai. Mai Mai is a point guard on the team that Elijah plays for, and he's quite a good player. He's a very talented, very gifted basketball player. So I'm walking alongside of him, and I have my arm around him. I'm just encouraging him about end-of-game strategies and the way he ought to be thinking as a leader and how to how to because they they had just almost lost a close game and I was just trying to encourage him and walking along with him and I don't know him that well uh, but I was encouraging him and got home last night and we were waiting for Sarah was going to bring food over from another teammate's dad who makes food and we're waiting and waiting and waiting and on their way over uh I talked to Elijah, and Elijah said, something happened to my mind. I was swimming, and something happened to him. And and they were, you know, he and another saucy, another one of his friends, they were talking, and I'm kind of dismissing it as young adult goofiness. Didn't really know what they were talking about, but kind of dismissed it. And they got to the house, and they were noticeably upset. And saucy was reading a text from... Uh, Another guy who used to be on their team last year named Cleo, who's a good friend of my Mai's, and another guy who goes to Central, Jamaria, who, so Saucy's talking to them, and he said he was talking to Jamaria, and Jamaria was just beside himself and weeping and couldn't talk, and I tried to save him. And, and then he was texting with Cleo, and Cleo was very sad, and and so Saucy explained this to me, and they said, something's, something's happening. And so they get in the car to drive out towards Crow Creek Park in Bettendorf, where there's a lagoon, a quarry. And Sarah texts me and said, they found Mai Mai, and he's dead. So this is a 16-year-old young man, and, you know, he's a, Nice enough kid. It was a pleasure to be around. All his teammates loved him. He, he had the whole world ahead of him. You know, he was excited about basketball, most probably going to go play basketball in college. And, and uh, he and three of his friends were out at a quarry, and 
There's a quarry in Crow Creek Park where there's some cliffs that kids go and jump off, apparently, which I wasn't aware of until Saucy was explaining that earlier in the evening of what might have gone on. Well, Mama, I didn't know how to swim, and here to Cleo. Don't know all the details, just know that somehow he ended up in the quarry and drowned. It happened about 5.30, and they found his body at 8.27 and pronounced him dead. I'm sad because it's a tragedy to watch a young man or to know a young man who died. It's a little weird and surreal. You know, I was just talking to him yesterday, just you know, watching him talk, play, and talking to him about basketball. And again, I didn't know him very well. I had spent a little bit of time around him, and you know, hadn't had an opportunity to really sit and talk to him like I have some of Elijah's other teammates. I'm sad because what's true is my my went and stood before the Lord last night to answer for his life, and there's little evidence that he even knew the gospel or or had put his faith and trust in Christ. There's, there's very little evidence of that. And he's perished and he has stood before God and his soul is now eternally damned or eternally in glory. Psalm 39.4 O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. James 4.14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then, then vanishes. Job 7.6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Sad because I think my mind's days came to an end without hope. You know, one of the questions that happens, we were sitting around then as a family, obviously talking last night and talking with my children and my mom and my wife, and then Elijah and Saucy and Sarah came back over after going out to Crow Creek Park and just able to talk a little bit about that human nature to want to talk about, well, what happened? Who did what? Why was it there? You know, all the questions. And, and it's natural. It's useless. It's useless. Um, there's kids that are wanting to get it. There was fights happening because of blaming people and young children acting foolish and uh, young adults acting foolish, foolish I should say. And because they want to assign blame and argue about whose fault and why and what and that's not what we're to do. We're not to sit around and try to figure out what happened, whose fault it was. God is sovereign. Life is short. People die. Everyone dies. I, uh, uh, if you would just pray for me and and for my mom, my wife, my, my children as we go along. My son will be around, obviously, Elijah and Sarah and Elijah's friends. Um, most of his teammates, a few of them call me Papa Mike because 
I'm around them a lot. And, and last night, able to talk. And, and anyone that's been around, they know the gospel to some extent, and they've heard us talk about the things of God. And um, that 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 God would use this time, or use me at least in this time, or us in this time, to be truth tellers to those around us for the next weeks and months. You know how this goes. They'll have a season. They'll dedicate. They'll have numbers. They'll have memories. And that's all all fine. And, you know, he's, it's his life is worth celebrating. He was a, a good kid from a hard life. His mother's in prison. His father is a hard man. And he was he was making it making it a different life for himself. And people will celebrate that. And, but Everyone that will come around will hopefully will find a way to remind them of the brevity of life and their need for a relationship with Jesus Christ, a need to be reconciled to the God who created them. Because the farthest thing from Elijah and his young adult men live is that's not on their minds until now. You know, Elijah's processing. He doesn't want really to do with it. That's not because they were great friends. It's the guy that he played against every day in practice because he's a point guard and Elijah's a point guard. And my mind was quite good. And um, Elijah was learning from him as a basketball player. But, you know, the coach of the team is somebody I meet with regularly. And his mother was a very religious woman, I think a Christian, the coach's mother, who we knew well because this coach happened to play for dad at at Rocky years ago, and there's a connection there. And um, people need to hear the truth, and I need to be a truth teller. And you can be praying that I do that faithfully. And um, look, young adults' foolish actions carry with them consequences, and sometimes extreme consequences. And obviously, someone who can't swim ought not be near a body of water in which there'd be no hope. Hanging out with, remember, that's irrelevant. Yeah. Donnie doesn't know how to swim. And years ago, I took him to Short Hills. We did a, a church night out at the country club I used to be part of, and I was trying to teach him to swim. And when I got him out in the deep end, he started to sink a little bit. He panicked, and he was grabbing me and kind of punching me and pulling me down with him, and he was afraid. And apparently, you know, one of the, 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 the guy who doesn't know how to swim, one of the girls jumped in to try to help, and this is what was happening to her, and so she had to release him and, or go under. And his friend's standing there watching who can do nothing because he can't swim. And... All three of those other young adults who were there, they, they need to hear the gospel. And I pray that, that I would be, or any of us would be, the people that would bring that. Okay, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 will be in verses 29 through 37. We're going to look today at what people know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is one of the, I don't know, maybe the best-known parable there is uh, in the world, you know, because Good Samaritan, you have Samaritan ministries, you have Samaritan in a lot of names, and, and 
the Good Samaritan is something that conjures up in people's minds uh, the right way to interact with those around you, how to be helpful and those in need and those kind of things. And you can you can see from the from the the title of the sermon on your out your uh, handout is I have that crossed out and um, titled it Jesus Evangelizes Self Righteous Lawyer. So let's stand and I will read verses twenty nine through thirty seven of Luke ten. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat on his own, he set him on his own animal and brought him back to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You may be seated. So when you hear the term Good Samaritan, what comes to mind? It's one, of the, it's, one of the, it's one of the biblical truths that social justice is built upon. It's, 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 it's a, a biblical truth that Marxism and, and socialism actually utilize as part of their argument for how we're supposed to live amongst one another. It's a justification of their ideologies. A good Samaritan, it's, it's, it's synonymous with demonstrating unusual sacrificial kindness towards others. While, while kindness and care towards others is certainly important, it is not the point of this parable. It is not why Jesus gave this parable. Jesus was answering the question that was asked earlier by this lawyer. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is the answer to that question. That's, this is Jesus responding to this cynical man's question about inheriting eternal life. Luke 10, 25, we looked at last week. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test and wanted to trick him, wanted to catch him up. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. We looked at it last week, but he says, okay, you're right. That's the right answer. You'll inherit inherit eternal life if you go and love God perfectly and love people perfectly. So you think this lawyer might say, I can't do that. I haven't done that. I won't do that. And he might see his need for mercy from God. He might see his need for the Messiah, but but instead 
Timothy, he says, basically he says back to Jesus, when Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. And he says, oh, okay, and? Like, okay. I mean, I've done that. I've loved God. And, 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 so what? I, I know the Shema. I love God perfectly. And he said, but, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Look, I love God and I love my neighbor unless you're going to identify neighbor as something differently. He wants to justify himself. He doesn't, he doesn't see that, that, he, that he has failed the command that he quoted. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. He doesn't even stop to say, you know, I haven't done that. He actually wants to believe that he has loved God how God commands to be loved. And then, 1918, Leviticus, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He, he's, he's saying, I've loved my neighbor as myself, as how he identified his neighbor. So, so he, he's ignoring that, that Jesus went on to say, do this and live. He's saying, if you, Leviticus 18.5, you shall therefore keep my statutes, my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. He's, he's acting as if, though, he's actually done these things and will have eternal life because he's done these things. The only way, in answer to your question, to live eternally with God is to, to be right with God, is to carry out His commands perfectly as far as the law was concerned. That's the only way. And this man knew the standard. He knew the standard was to love God with everything that he was. Every part of his being, he was to love God with all of his mind and his soul and his strength and his might. All of it, to love God. And he, he knew this. He knew this and and he knew he was to love his neighbor as himself. And instead of realizing his own missing of that mark, falling short of that standard, he tries to justify himself. But he, desiring to justify, to put right with, justify, vindicate, declare righteous, to cause someone to be in a proper or right relation with someone else. He's asked... Not honestly. He's asked sarcastically or cynically, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you see in the law? He tells him, and he basically says, yep, I do that. I do that. And who is my neighbor? You're trying to catch me up. Let's talk about who my neighbor is. He wants to try to claim that he loved God with all of his being, unless Jesus has a different idea of neighbor. He's done that as well. We looked at this last week, but... And who is my neighbor? Plies plesion, a neighbor, a friend, any other person. And where two are concerned, the other, thy fellow man, thy neighbor. The word actually meant a broad, whoever you're around. But... In, in the Jewish culture, it was 
those that were near you, certainly only Jews, and in the case of a religious leader like this, only the religious Jews, only the practicing religious Jews. For, for, this, for this Jew, his neighbor would not be broad. His neighbor would be immediate family and those who are of the same status as him, the religious elite. He, he wouldn't have interacted much with lowly Jews, certainly not non-Jews. This, this man, this, this, this Jewish attorney uh, in, in the law, in the religious attorney, not secular law, he would have believed the rabbinical teaching that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5. 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The teaching of rabbis in Judaism was, you are to love those that are like you, love your fellow Jews, but you're to hate anyone who wasn't Jewish or anyone that wasn't practicing Judaism. They had taken on as a virtue hating those who were their enemies. They had taken on as a virtue to love their neighbor, but to hate their enemy. This was the teaching. This is what they were taught. Now, how could they do that? Well, one way would be Psalm 139.21. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. What, what, what these rabbis had done and what these, this, this lawyer would have done is he would have been living by an incorrect application of the imprecatory psalms. Taking on the imprecatory psalm and making it be, okay, this is I'm supposed to hate God's enemies. Anyone who was against Israel was to be hated, to be destroyed, not loved by them. They weren't taught to love their enemies. They wanted their enemies dead. Very justified in their hatred of non-Jews. This man, like like most Jews, forgot the other parts of the Old Testament concerning how you're to interact with those around you. Leviticus 19.34, also in the law, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. Sojourners, strangers among you, the non-Jews among you are to be loved as yourself as well. That's the neighbor you are to love. Exodus 23, 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, this donkey is down because it's so tired, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You don't leave this enemy, this one who hates you, with his broken down vehicle. You rescue it with him. You are to help your enemy, the one who hates you. You are to retrieve his animal. You are not to walk on by. You are to to help the one who hates you. That's God's standard. That's who your neighbor is. That's how you interact with your enemies according to God's law. This is what God expects of his people in Micah 6, 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Look, this, this Jewish lawyer, he would know these things. He would know the Old Testament. He would know Micah 6.6. 6. Shall I come with burnt offerings with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He's to love mercy, to love kindness. This is what this lawyer, looking to trick Jesus, wasn't understanding. These teachers of these rabbis to consider only other Jews practicing Judaism as their neighbor, it was whoever was near them. This man was wanting to justify himself by saying that he loved God perfectly, and if not, make some sacrifices, and that he loved his neighbor as he defined it as himself. He wanted to answer his own question about inheriting eternal life with answering with his own righteousness, with his own fulfilling of the law. So Jesus tells him a parable. Now, the parable and its purpose. First thing is some things we should know about parables. Well, parables are stories, yes? They're, they're not real events. Parables are stories made up to explain some different truth. To, to use something that's understandable to the listener to explain something that's harder to understand. The, the parables, they, they teach one main point. Parables teach one main point. Usually the end is where the main point is and the story gets you to this. But parables teach one main point. Parables are not allegories. By the way, parables are not meant to derive orthopraxy from. They aren't meant to derive orthopraxy from. The prodigal son was not given as a parable in order for fathers to know how to treat their wayward children. That wasn't the reason for the parable. Parables are not allegories. They, they aren't filled with hidden meanings from symbolism. They're just stories to explain something that is harder to understand. It's just a story that the listener would understand. That's what a parable is. Parables are for believers to understand and to further confuse the hard-hearted or further enrage the hard-hearted. Parables are meant to be applied to the listener. So, so why, why did Jesus tell this parable to this man? to refute this man's attempt to justify himself by the fulfillment of the law. The law that he knew, that's why he told him the parable. To show him that inheriting eternal life could not be accomplished by his own doing. So this this parable was told to this man as an evangelistic tool. He's evangelizing this man who wants to justify himself as if he's good enough to inherit the kingdom of God based on the standards of God. He doesn't tell him this 
When he says at the end, go out and do likewise, not as if he can, as we'll look at, to help him to see that he can't. The parable is an evangelistic tool. Jesus' parables are salvific in nature. Again, we have to be careful. So, so when people think of the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and they want to take that and say, this is what you do. You apply this to the life of a Christian. That's not what the parable is there to do. It's misuse of the teaching. It's really important that we understand this. It's not that caring for our neighbors or doing... It's not that those things are bad. This isn't what the parable is teaching. The parable is bringing a man who thinks he can be right with God in and of himself and his own actions in fulfilling the law to bring him to understand that he cannot. Not tell him to go out and live this way so that you can. It's not why it's there. Not telling him, hey, when you do get saved, go live this way. That's not what it's there for. So the parable of Good Samaritan, the reason I cross that out is the way that everybody seems to understand it is not what it's for. It's misusing the parable to promote things like social justice, like works-based Christianity. So here's the parable Jesus used to evangelize this self-righteous lawyer. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him as he passed by on the other, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asked him this question, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So this parable was told to this lawyer to show him that he's not willing to love his neighbor in the way this Samaritan did. To show him that obedience to God would have him to be the neighbor, not decide who his neighbor is. We'll get to that, but, but what he's telling him is, you have to make yourself that man's neighbor. It doesn't matter who this person is. It's not, is that my neighbor? It's you are to make yourself that man's neighbor. He, he wants this man to see that he isn't following God's commands. And he was under his judgment. Ezekiel twenty twenty one. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules. By which, if a person does them, he shall live. They profane my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them. In the wilderness, my people were disobedient to my commands, and therefore I'm going to pour out my wrath. You, Jewish lawyer, are disobedient to God's commands, and therefore you're under his wrath. That's what he wants him to see. He wants him to see that if you place yourself under the law and you say that you're justified because you follow the law, you're not, you're condemned. James 2 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
you are doing well. This is what this man was claiming to do. And wanting to know, well, then who are you calling my neighbor? But if you show partiality, which this man clearly did, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of all. This is not, this, this parable is not a simple story of kindness and instruction on how to be kind. It's not that. It is not that. It is a parable told to evangelize this man. Let's look at the parable for what it is, an evangelistic story to make a point to this sinner, not as instruction or orthopraxy on how to live the Christian life. It's really important that we understand this. This is not instruction on how to live the Christian life. It's not teaching against doing kindness to people. It is simply being told to this man, it's a story being told to this man to evangelize him. So a man, here's the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, from Jerusalem to Jericho is about a 17-mile from 3,000-foot elevation to 1,000-foot below sea level about descent. So in 17 miles, you go down 4,000 feet. We actually were on that road when we were in Israel, and it's a, it's a, it's a winding, uh, steep road. And on either side, there's, there's a lot of drop-offs. It reminds me of being out in Colorado when I lived there in the foothills. There's a lot of places you come. It's very windy, lots of rocks and crevices. It was a road that, that the, the listener would have known well. It's called the Bloody Road. It was a road that, that, that had lots of robbers and thieves on it. This is a real road that he's referencing in this story. And this, this Jewish man would have been headed down from Jerusalem to Jericho from having worshipped in some way. He's now heading back down to Jericho from Jerusalem. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. He was abducted by thieves along this road. And these thieves, they abducted him, and they stripped off his clothing, and they beat him. And they beat him, and they beat him. They took everything he had, and they left him for dead. So this Jewish man was returning to Jericho from Jerusalem along this road, and he was grabbed by thieves. He was beaten half dead, all of his clothing stripped off of him, and he was left for dead. Why were these robbers there? What were they after? We don't know. It's a story. It didn't really happen. No such thing as these robbers. They didn't exist. It's a story. It's a parable. It's telling a story to make a point. This didn't really happen. We're going to keep mentioning that as we go along because it's going to... I mean, go read commentaries sometime on this. You've got paragraphs and paragraphs and pages upon pages talking about why the robbers were doing what they were doing and the priests and who the priests were and why they were doing what they were doing. It's not true. It's a story. It didn't happen. Stop trying to take all this meaning out of it that's not there. 
Some of it is there. His listener would have known the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He would have known the road. It's like saying, hey, when you're going across a new 74 bridge, everybody here knows what I'm talking about. So I can tell a story about that. Make up a story, but you'll know what I'm using in my story. Okay, so this guy, this Jewish man, going back down to Jericho from Jerusalem. He's on this road that they all knew was a dangerous road. He gets abducted by a a bunch of thieves. They, They strip him naked. They beat him, and they leave him for dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. By the way, now, by chance. Now, we know there's no such thing as chance, right? Jesus certainly knows there's no such thing as chance. I mean, he ought to have said, by God's providence. No, he's talking to someone he's telling a story to. He's speaking a language they can understand. He's not getting mixed up in not using, being careful not to say by chance because there's some lack of understanding the sovereignty of God inside of that. So he's speaking to this man in a way this man can understand. Say, by chance, in my story, just just so happens, a priest is walking, going down the road. And again, this priest, now get the picture, this in this story, this, this robber, this, this uh, Jewish man is going back down to Jericho. These robbers get him. Here he lays, beaten and bloody, mostly naked, half dead. And a priest happens by. And he sees this man. And when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. So he sees him. And of course, because he might be going up to Jerusalem from Jericho to, to do temple service, and he would be ceremonially unclean if he touched him. No, no. This didn't happen. We don't know why the priest was there. We just know it was a priest. We don't need to make up a bunch of stories about the story. All he wants to listen and understand is a priest came by. What would this Jewish attorney, a lawyer, this expert in the law, think about a priest. Well, a priest is very righteous. He represents Judaism, if you will. This is, this is what the listener is going to understand. We're not going to get into, again, paragraphs and pages upon conjecture and why the priest did what he did. This priest doesn't exist. It's a made-up dude. Okay, he passed by on the other side. So, this priest, this religious man, This man that this Jewish lawyer in the story, the kind of man he would look up to, sees the guy laying there half-beaten, dead, doesn't do anything but pass by on the other side and leave him laying there. So this righteous man, in the eyes of this lawyer, walks around to the other side. So likewise... A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him. So again, in this in this evangelistic parable that Jesus is telling this particular man, a Levite was from the family of Levi, not from the family of Aaron. So a Levite wouldn't be a priest. A Levite would be a priest assistant. Would would again help in the temple, but he wouldn't be a priest. So there's a, these two types of religious righteous people that this lawyer would say are men that live rightly. So now a Levite comes. And he sees this beaten man, bloodied and dying. And he too 
goes to the other side of the road and passes by. So I hear people lots, well, think about the Good Samaritan. When you're walking down the road, do we actually have to go to the other side and and avoid this conflict, or should we walk up to them? It's a story. It never happened. No instruction on what to do when you walk up on something on the street. It's an evangelistic tool for the man who's listening. That's all it is. So this Levite, he walks to the other side. He avoids this man who's beaten half to death. He goes on with this story. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Well, now, this lawyer in this story Jesus is telling us perks up, I'm sure. He's heard about two religious folks, a priest and a Levite, who came and went to the other side. He now hears about a Samaritan. Well, what do we know Jews think about Samaritans? They hate them. They're half-breeds. They worship on Gerizim. They worship a different god. They, they were combatants. They, they, were, they wouldn't allow them to help rebuild the temple. There's, again, we've talked about this. They're, they're, they're mixed people who no longer are Jews, and they're hated by the Jews. Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria to not get that dust on their feet. Yes? We know this. So now this Jewish attorney hears about this Samaritan, and what comes into his mind when he says Samaritan? It's kind of like saying Dodgers fan or Cubs fan. You immediately think something, right? You, certainly, you immediately think something about them. So, so he says this Samaritan, and, and the, the, the listener's going to say, oh, boy, can't wait to see what this guy does. He's, he's a dog. This is the worst of the worst. This certainly is not someone that I'm called to love, and I would not expect him to love this beaten Jewish man. That's what he would have to be thinking. So this half-breed, this false worshiping man, comes by. He came to where he was. Now, again, (laughs) argument. Well, this couldn't have happened. A Samaritan would not have been on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He would have been in Samaria. He would have no reason to travel that road, and he certainly wouldn't be there. So the, this, this story, no, no, it didn't really happen. Jesus put a Samaritan into the story, so he's in the story. It doesn't matter if you think a Samaritan would have been on that road. That's silly. He's telling this man a parable. It's like me walking up to Tony who's telling a, a parable to a man or a woman to try to give him the gospel, and I come up and say, Tuesday, Thursday. Like I tell him, that story can't work. That He's telling a story simply to evangelize this man. And so, so he says, there's a Samaritan on the road. And, and, and when he sees, when he came to where he was, he saw this man and he had compassion. Splanisomai. This dirty Samaritan, this, this example of a worthless lowlife Compared to this priest and this Levite, he sees him and he has compassion. Splangnisomai. Feel compassion for, have pity on, have one's heart go out to someone. Unlike these two religious, righteous, in the eyes of this lawyer, men, this priest and the Levite who had passed by without any compassion, this low life has compassion. So he sees him, he has compassion, 
And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He took some of his own clothes or whatever he might have had in his knapsack. All we know is he, he took in this story, he took and he bound this man's wounds. This naked, disrobed, beaten, bloodied man, half dead, this Samaritan comes upon him and he binds up his wounds. And he takes very expensive oil and wine, which were healing agents, and he places them on this man. Again, this listener would understand all of this. This Jewish lawyer would understand exactly what's taking place. Um, I don't know a good, a good comparison. Whatever we have this medicinal and worth a lot of money, we walk up on somebody and we just, we put this, this we, we waste all our good medicine on this guy we don't know. So the Samaritan gives this, this extraordinary amount of care to this Jewish man who's been beaten and robbed by, by binding his wounds, caring for him, and pouring on this oil and this wine as healing agents. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn. So he, he gets this man up and puts him onto his own, whatever it is, donkey, horse, his own animal, ox. So now he has to walk. So he's walking along, bringing with him this bloodied, dirty Jewish man who, who by ethnicity would hate him. He would hate this man that's doing this for him. He would look down on this man who's doing this for him. He's, he's, he's loving this man. He's caring for this man in extraordinary ways. And the next day, so he goes with him to the inn in this story, and he stays with him all night. Again, a Gentile and a Jew in the same room. Well, not a Gentile, a Samaritan, which is worse even. In the same room. Being cared for. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. So the next day, this Samaritan in this story says, I'm leaving, innkeeper. Here's enough for 30 to 60 days of his care. About a 32nd or a 16th of a denarii, depending on how nice the inn was. This is going to take care of him for 30 or 60 days. Look, whatever he needs, you take care of him. And when I come back, if I owe you some more, I'll pay you some more. This, who does that? Like, he's going to give up his own money and a decent amount of his money for the care of this and says, I'll give you more when I come back if it costs you more to care for him. I mean, we're going to empty our pocketbooks for ourselves, aren't we? Maybe for your wife and your children. But for this person you don't even know who is your enemy and you hate, empty your pocket for him? Who does that? This is the story he's telling this lawyer. Who, who does that? This lawyer has got to be thinking, this whole story I'm being told is, is, is blowing my mind because these, these men that are religious, that I would be like-minded with, they choose to go around, and probably for good reason, and this Samaritan comes up and actually loves this man. 
Ain't no chance I'm doing that. No chance I'm doing that. So this lawyer hears this parable. He knows the setting of the story. He knows the characters involved. He knows the the extraordinary, the, the ridiculousness of what he's being told, the unreasonableness of what he's being told. And then Jesus asks him a question. Because this is a scribe, this is a lawyer, this is a smart man. He knows the law and he's supposed to adjudicate and put things together. Hey, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor for the man to the man who fell among the robbers? By the way, proved to be. The word is ginomai. To become. To come into existence. To begin to be. Being. Uh, receive being. To be made. What this word means is... Who do you think became or made himself this man's neighbor? Not whose neighbor was he. Who made themselves something new and different, this man's neighbor? Which one of these three did that? Is what he's asking this self-righteous, I've done it, who's my neighbor combatant. Which of these three made themselves to be his neighbor to the man who was beaten and robbed and dying? He said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Elias, mercy, kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help them. This lawyer knew the one who neighbored him, who became his neighbor, was the one who showed him mercy. He's admitting these two, not his neighbor. The priest, the Levite, this Samaritan, he made himself this guy's neighbor. The one who made himself This man's neighbor was one who poured out his time, his energy, his resources to help this man left to die. Not the orthopaxy for a Christian. Showing this man his hard-hearted self-righteousness that would never do such a thing. This, This Samaritan was... was certainly not this man's neighbor as this Jewish lawyer would have defined him. That's certainly not his neighbor. He's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. He hates him. He hates him. That is my enemy. I have no obligation to be nice to him, to treat him, to love him. Yet, what did the Samaritan do? He made himself that man's neighbor by loving him, by caring for him. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He tells this self-righteous Jewish lawyer who believes 
he has loved God according to the Shema. He believes he has loved his neighbor as he defined him. He believes he's right with God. He's going to inherit eternal life based on that answer. And Jesus tells him this parable, this story, this made-up story, to show him he has no way of being like that Samaritan. Now go do it yourself. Not going to happen. You, teacher, that I asked this original question to, you're full of nonsense. This rabbi, this Levite, I mean, this priest, this Levite, they, they know what they're doing. For whatever reasons in your story, you would have passed him by. I'm going their way. I will not make myself that, if I'm that Samaritan, I will not make myself that person's neighbor. He, Jesus, tells him this lawyer this parable in order to get him to see you cannot satisfy the demands of the law on your own. You will not love that person. You will not. You do not love God and you do not love people in the way you're commanded. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus told him this story. If you walk away from this thinking, well, I've got to go live like this good Samaritan to be a good Christian, guess what? You're going to fail. And if you're putting your hope in your Christianity because you're following this parable, you're damned. You can't. You won't. How often do you actually pull over and help someone? Really? How often do I? How often do I actually make myself a neighbor to someone who's suffering? I'm not gonna. That law is my tutor to Christ. Once I come to know Christ, my desire grows to help people that I come across. I stop a whole lot more now than I used to. I have a lot more compassion upon what happened even last night and all those involved than I used to. But this standard that this man wanted to use to make himself right with God, Jesus told in his parable to show him, you're not. You can't. You won't. See, this this standard that we're, to li- we're, we're, we're seeing here, certainly... We are to love God and love people, yes? Certainly. But in no way is our obedience to that salvific. In no way is that going to make us right with God or keep us right with God. And that's what this man thought his actions were doing. And that's what 92% of the people that you know that call themselves Christians rely on. I'm a pretty good person. But desiring, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this parable. This parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Closing thought. Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan to a self-righteous lawyer to show him his failure to love God and love people well enough to inherit eternal life and to send him away with an impossible task that he might see his need for a Savior. Christ-like evangelism requires that our audience knows of their inability to go to heaven of their own efforts. What we take away from the parable of the Good Samaritan as Christians is a a template of evangelism, not a how-to go live our lives. We see that Jesus took this man and showed him he's not living up to God's standards and showed him He's going to fall short and he's under the judgment of God because the, the Old Testament says, you don't do this, my wrath's going to be poured out upon you. Our job when we evangelize people is to show them if they're counting on meeting some standard that they can't hit that standard. Show them Christ. Show them his perfections. Show them their need for a Savior. Anyone in here doesn't know Christ. We looked at it the other night in our in our confession statement. You, you, it is better for you to obey God, but you cannot obey God. Your inability to obey God is what you need Christ for. For the forgiveness of your sins, because you can't hit the mark that God has set. So trying harder to do better may make you better temporally, but it will not make you right with God. What you must do is seek the mercy that this self-righteous Jewish lawyer wouldn't seek. Don't try to justify yourselves by obeying the law. Understand that you can't obey perfectly. And Christ died to take the sins of those who would see that, repent of that, and put their hope and trust in Him, seeking God's mercy. Father, we thank You for this parable this parable where Jesus evangelizes this self-righteous lawyer. The story that he told to help this man in his, in his kindness, in Christ's kindness, in your kindness, Father. To give, this, to give this man this parable that he might have ears to hear. He might see his unwillingness and inability to make every person on this planet his neighbor through his care for them. Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus who who perfectly lived out all of your commands and died for those of us who don't. Father, may we live our lives in obedience to what you have commanded us. May we cling to Christ.
and live. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 419, Hear the Call of the Kingdom. 419, Hear the Call of the Kingdom.